And I want you to go ahead and get your Bibles out, or your iPhone, or your Android phone app, whatever you have with you today. Uh, We are going to be um, primarily in the book of Colossians. You can see it's way at the back. Okay, there's not much left after that, Uh, so find the book. Actually, it's a letter. We'll get to that later, Uh, but um, Colossians is where we're going to be, and to start our service today, we're going to have Colossians chapter 1 read by Brian. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ and of the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all of the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may have a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything (laughs) so that everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all of his fullness in him and through him to reconcile himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through, the, through death to present you in his holy sight. Without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of the body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present, you, to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. 
To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the... He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we, we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. There is nothing more powerful than the reading of God's word. There, I could say a whole bunch of really cool stuff today, but if we leave God's word out of it, if we don't give it the respect and reverence that it's due, um, we're missing something. And uh, so I appreciate Brian being willing to do that. Um, just being up front is not easy, so I appreciate that very much. <laughs> it's the lights, you know, they're hot. <laughs> so we just heard the words of the Apostle Paul, and actually uh, he wrote them down, but they were given to him by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we think, I mentioned a minute ago, I, I, I still call these books sometimes, uh, these letters that Paul wrote to these churches, uh, that's a more accurate way. And, and what would have happened, and we'll tell you who it was later, but a letter was written by Paul, sent to a church or a group of churches in a specific area, and they were read out loud to the people. And so that's why I think it's so important for us to remember that. And we've just demonstrated this morning what that looks like. And it was a powerful thing that happened uh, to this church in Colossae. Uh, Paul wrote most of his writings to specific local church or churches, as I mentioned, uh, for a specific purpose. And last June, seems like forever ago, uh, we started an extended series called Letters from the Pen. And uh, these were, uh, were, were highlighting four of these letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, uh, but he wrote them while he was in chains. Um, and so that makes them interesting, and they're, they're referred to as prison epistles or letters, um, and they are the letters of, to the Ephesians, the letter to the Philippians, the letter to the Colossians that we just read a bit of today, and a letter to a specific person by the name of Philemon. And uh, you might remember, uh, and we, I've done this the first two uh, times we've been together in this series, this is the third volume, uh, that in Acts chapter 20, uh, starting in verse 23, Paul says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me uh, there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. And we know that is true, um, and it actually happened in the life of the Apostle Paul, and that's where he wrote these four letters. Now, last June, I mentioned, we kicked off this series. We spent four weeks in the letter that he wrote to the church at Philippi, Philippians. And Paul took the opportunity in that letter to encourage the local church that was there to live their lives focused on joy. We just sang about that joy this morning. That joy is the one that can only come from knowing Jesus. This is different than happiness or being content with our life. Joy can only come from God. Um, and he encouraged them to have this joy no matter what their circumstances were. And that doesn't happen with happiness, right? Your circumstances control how happy you are at any given time. But that joy that's deep down inside of us can only come from God himself. And so that's what Paul was writing to the Philippians. 
Uh, Last September, I actually covered the entire letter written to Philemon in one Sunday, and that's because it was only 25 verses long. Uh, But Paul had written this letter to uh, Philemon, um, and it contained a plea Uh, to Philemon to treat his runaway slave named Onesimus. This might sound familiar to you if you were here last September. Um, his, His runaway slave Onesimus had run away and he was out a worker. He was out, you know, income. And Paul had, Onesimus had come across Paul at some point, probably in Rome, and he became a Christian. He accepted Christ. And it was an amazing story. And so now he knew, I've got to go back, but I'm scared to go back. And so Paul wrote this letter to Philemon. He put it in Onesimus' hands and said, carry this back to Philemon. And I know Philemon will do the right thing. And later this year, we are going to cover the final letter that Paul wrote in chains, Ephesians. Uh, But today you've already got a taste of it. We're going to be in Colossians over the next three weeks, including today. So the next two Sundays, we will finish up this entire letter uh, written to the church in Colossae. A little bit of background uh, before uh, we move on much from here. Many of uh, Paul's writings, actually, he was taking a lot of opportunity, if you read through them. Uh, He had to combat the false teaching that was actually really prevalent in those days. Uh, It still is today. (laughs) There's no difference today. Uh, But in that day, he had helped start all these churches in some way, shape, or form. And he started to see these false teachers start to move in and out of these churches and, and starting to claim things and teach things that weren't of God. And so he spent a lot of his letters trying to correct those things to these churches. In many cases, these churches were very young. They probably didn't know, like us, they didn't know every bit of doctrine possible. God was still teaching them, like he does with everybody. But in those settings, they were very young churches. They they didn't have any idea of what the church was before that. And so they were um, very um, in danger of being taught things and just accepting them as true uh, because they just didn't know any better at the time. And so there was something, especially in this time frame, and it really affected the church in Colossae called Gnosticism. And there was actually a a subgroup with this church in particular referred to as the Essenes. And the Essenes had three really um, kind of defining characteristics that you could kind of point them out uh, pretty easily. Uh, Three things. They actually, this was their mindset. They they had what they called an exclusive spirit. An exclusive spirit. Uh, They had cornered the market on wisdom. Okay? Uh, God only spoke to them. Okay, not even the apostles, nobody else. God spoke to them, and they had this special knowledge that nobody else had. So that was kind of how they governed themselves um, from a doctrine standpoint. Uh, this, this is a little wild. The, the second thing, they taught that God didn't actually create the universe directly, but that he created a creature of sorts, and that creature didn't create the universe. That creature created another creature. That creature also did not create the universe. That creature created another creature. And down the line it went. Somewhere in that, in that line, Jesus Christ showed up as one of these creatures. And the world came to be. Um, there, was, there was some, at the end of that line, somewhere, some creature created what we know as the universe. Jesus was just one of these other creatures, not really nothing special, 
just another one of these creatures. One of the most obvious outward signs is that they um, practice something called asceticism. This is where they would severely discipline themselves to keep them in line, to not cross the line, to not sin. Uh, And actually, in a lot of cases, they actually lived apart from society. They they didn't live with everybody else. They were were out of uh, the city, and they were very strict, as I mentioned, with their religious practice. And so this is the type of doctrine that was prevalent in these false teachers milling around God's church back in uh, the time that Paul wrote this letter. And Paul would have to spend significant time in this letter reminding the church in Colossae and others. We'll see this in week three. This wasn't just written to the church in Colossae, um, but he, he had to remind these churches of the true nature of who God is what the gospel is. Where does Jesus fit in all of this talk? And so Paul begins his letter. We're basically going to work through this letter, um, chapter 1 from verse 1 all the way to 29 here today. Um, I won't keep you more than like three more hours, okay? Uh, that's my, that is my commitment to you here today, okay? So Paul begins his letter in much the same way that is his usual custom. If you've ever read some of his letters, you're going to recognize some of these same, the same terminology. Uh, but in contrast to how we write letters today, he actually puts his name, and he's writing it for himself, but also on behalf of his partner, Timothy. And uh, he puts their names, this is how they wrote letters back then, they would put their names at the beginning, so you wouldn't waste your time reading a letter only to find out who it's from, right? What do you do when you get a letter? Does anyone get letters anymore in the mail? Okay, if you get a letter and you're not sure who it's from, where do you normally look to find that out? It's at the end, right? It's at the bottom of the letter. But that's not how they did it back then. They actually would start the letter with their names. And this was typical of what they would do. And he, Paul, in this opening, he refers to himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And man, there's a lot packed into this letter, but if you know anything about Paul's conversion, you know, he used to try to hunt down Christians uh, to murder them. He was present at, Tim, or at uh, Stephen Stoning, the very first martyr recorded in Scripture. He was standing there holding coats for people so they could throw these giant rocks and, and kill Stephen. He was not a good dude. And he uh, had a, a, a run-in with Jesus himself. He was, on the, he was on the road, he was traveling to go um, persecute some more Christians, and, and Jesus showed up, and this bright light blinded Saul, literally and figuratively in the moment, and Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me, Saul? That was his name at the time. And Paul's life was forever changed at that moment, when he experienced the living God in front of him. And it's obvious in this, this letter that he understood that his call didn't come from his own aspirations, right? He, what did he, he wanted to kill Christians. No, his call came from the will of God himself. And he's clearly writing to fellow believers, uh, followers of Jesus. He addresses them in two ways, but this is one group of people. He says God's holy people, brothers and sisters. This is the same group he, he's writing to uh, in Colossae primarily. The King James Version, I actually like how it says it. It says that the brothers and sisters are at Colossae, but in 
Christ. And I just love that little differentiation. The NIV doesn't say it that way, um, but it, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting dis- distinction because it didn't matter where they were as much as who they belonged to. And I would just say that's exactly the same for every person in this room today. It doesn't matter where you are. What matters is who you belong to. That includes the physical location that we live in, but it also includes where we are on our faith journey. You know, some of us accepted Christ as as young children. Others, it was much later in life. And it doesn't matter at what spot you are in your journey to become more and more like Jesus. Um, It matters who you are following. And so we need to stop comparing ourselves to each other. We, we need to stop saying, you know, oh, so-and-so, they're more spiritual than me because of this reason or that reason. It doesn't matter. What matters is your relationship with God. Take, take the time to get to know him better. It's not about anybody else. It's about what you um, develop um, between you and God. And really, he does that work. But Paul says grace and peace. He always starts his letters virtually always this way. Grace and peace. Grace, uh, the word, it's a Greek word. He uses Greek and Hebrew, which is awesome because he's always speaking to all these different groups. And, and so he says grace and peace. And it, grace is that uh, word charis in, in Greek. It's hello, how are you? you know, it's, it's the main greeting you would give to somebody as you pass them on the street. And then peace, probably a lot of you know, it comes from the Hebrew, which means shalom. Shalom. And it's interesting to note, this is just an extra thing today, until someone has accepted the free gift of grace from God, there can be no shalom in their life. You've got to accept the grace that he offers freely to you, and then his peace can come inside as well. And that's where Paul says that grace and peace come from, right here. He says, from God our Father. And so with the greeting kind of out of the way, Paul moves in. He kind of, I don't, it sounds kind of crass, but he comes along to like pat him on the back. He, he's giving him an attaboy, you know, good job, church in Colossae, uh, because I've been hearing so many good things about you. Word on the street is, you know, and he's hearing this all the way wherever he's locked up in Rome, you know, he's hearing all the good things that are happening here at Colossae. And uh, the reason he's hearing that is because there's a man by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras, who is visiting Paul. Epaphras actually is going to carry the letter back to the church in Colossae, just like Onesimus did to Philemon. Epaphras is going to carry this letter back to the church in Colossae. Now, there's actually an interesting connection between those two letters, uh, the letter to Philemon and the letter to the church in Colossae. Uh, you might remember, and I'm, I'm not going to ask you for sure, you can just know in your own heart, you might remember last time that I mentioned that there was a church that met in Philemon's home. We, we made the point that Philemon likely had some money. He likely had a big space, and the church um, in his area met at his home. And uh, any guesses who the pastor of the church at Phile- in Philemon's home was. It was Epaphras. Epaphras. So the church that Philemon had in his home was the church at Colossae. 
And so this letter comes back from Onesimus straight to Philemon, who, who owns the house. And then this letter from Epaphras, who'd been away uh, visiting Paul, comes back in his hands to the church at Colossae, which meets in Philemon's home. And I think that's a really, really interesting uh, connection made there. And that's why you'll find a lot of uh, similarities in these letters that Paul writes. <clears throat> he tells, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he tells uh, them in verse 3 through 5 here uh, in Colossians 1 uh, that he is so encouraged, these things that he's been hearing about them, that these good things, these positives, he wants to start naming them. And, and so he's, he uh, says specifically he's so encouraged by hearing about the extent of their faith, their love, and their hope. Their faith primarily in Christ Jesus, faith in what they had heard before, he said, in the true message of the gospel. Not what these Essenes, these Gnostics are talking about. You learn the true message of the gospel uh, by faith in Jesus Christ. He said, I've heard about the love that you have for all of God's people. This church wasn't wasting their time looking down on each other for not measuring up. Ah, you're not as far along as me, you know, or, or you're, you know, you, you don't have it figured out. We have it figured out. They weren't doing that. They loved each other. They got along. They had patience for each other. They had understanding, and they gave each other grace because they had been given all this grace from God. And this faith and love, uh, Paul says, springs from their hope in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This gospel that's, that's grounded, this, this hope in that gospel is grounded in this future-focused outlook on eternity. Not looking at their surroundings, not looking at the situations, the difficult times they were having. It was focused on this eternity that they would have with God. Faith, love, and hope. There's actually another place where those three things are found in, in the writings of Paul altogether. It's at the end of uh, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians 13. This is known, does anybody know what this chapter is known as? The love chapter, right? And uh, love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, all those things. And it gets to the end of this list, and Paul says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And we've talked many times about the greatest commandment is to love God, right? And the second one is to love others. The greatest thing we can do is love. Now, Paul changed the order here in 1 Corinthians versus Colossians. Um, I think that's because love is the only one of those three that's going to last into eternity. Think about it. When we're in the presence of God, do we really need faith anymore? That sounds bad to say, but he's there. He's right there. We don't need to have faith that he's going to take us home, so we're going to be with him, Right? Um, the, the idea of hope, we don't have to hope any longer. We don't have to have hope. He is our hope, and he is present with us. We'll be experiencing his presence. The, the source of that faith and hope will be with us at that moment. And so Paul goes on to tell them of the fruit. Uh, and we've referenced Galatians 5 a m number of times, but he says you know, that there's this obvious fruit in their lives, this fruit that comes by changed lives in the gospel, this fruit, uh, one of which is joy that only comes from God. Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
These are the things that come from the Spirit. When you are following God, when you have accepted Christ as your Savior, these are the things that people should be able to look at you and say, ah, man, is he patient. Man, that one hurts. (laughs) That one hurts a little. (laughs) I hope these things are things that people would say, yeah, that Paul over there at Shiloh, that's what he looks like. And I know I fail in those areas a lot. But these are things that can't just be manufactured in our lives. Not for any length of time. We might be able to put on a real patient. We might be naturally more patient than someone else. Um, But the patience that comes from God can't be manufactured. We can't, you know, um, suck it up and be more patient for very long unless it comes from God. The only way for this type of fruit to grow in our lives is by accepting him. Uh, John 15 is another classic uh, passage. I am the vine, and you are the branches, right? Jesus is the, is the vine that's planted and rooted in the ground, and we're just the branches hanging off the end. And, and if you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. The key part really there is, apart from me, you can do nothing. So that fruit that comes from being attached to the vine can't happen apart from God. And so Paul, he tells the Colossians again in in verse 3 and verse 9 that he regularly is praying for them. And there's these five things that he is praying for specifically. And he's very particular because, remember, he's fighting this false teaching that's happened. He he says, "I'm, I'm praying for you that you'll be filled with the knowledge of God that only comes from the Spirit. So that number two, that your lives will be pleasing to God and, and, that you can, uh, and so that the Spirit can produce, number three, fruit in your lives that result in continued growth in their knowledge of who God is. And, and then that will, number four, give them strength and it will help them endure and, and be patient with joy. And that will result in number five, giving thanks to God for all things. Paul says, this God that we offer our thanks to, he wants to produce fruit in our lives, and and he's promised us a future in his presence. He's he's actually rescued us from a life of darkness, and he's transported us into the kingdom of his son, Jesus. And he is the one who has secured our redemption and forgiveness of sins. There's a ton of doctrine in this chapter, and really this whole letter. In fact, the theme of this entire letter is related to the fact that Christ is, is over all. That'll be our hashtag for the next three weeks, Christ over all. And in the next five verses, Paul, and don't get nervous, we're going to move through these quick. Paul's going to show ten ways in which that is true. Ten ways that Christ is over all. And we're actually going to break this down into four categories. Okay, so, uh, and it's four different ways uh, that Christ has a relationship to something else, okay? So Christ's relationship to, in verse 15, we see the first category, Christ's relationship to the Father. Christ's relationship to the Father. Uh, It says specifically that he is the image of the invisible God. This doesn't mean he's just an image, It doesn't mean he's just a picture of what God looks like. Um, In fact, a a couple weeks ago when we were talking about uh, Solus Christus in Hebrews chapter 1, we saw in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That's Jesus. 
whom he appointed heir of all things, and through, through whom also he made the universe. This is the important part right here. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. That's pretty cool. And the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He's not just a picture of God. He is God. And we're going to talk more about how he's related to creation in a minute. But he says also through whom God made the universe. He made the universe, and he is the exact representation of his being. Uh, The second part of his relationship to the Father, he points out uh, that he's the firstborn over all creation. The firstborn over all creation. Now, this isn't speaking of a physical birth. He wasn't the first thing person born. That's not what that means. Um, Jesus has always existed. He was there at creation. And and what he means by firstborn here is that uh, he has a place of priority. He has a place of superiority over all of creation. Now, let's look at another passage that talks about uh, how he was there at creation. John chapter 1. This is, a, this is a great passage, uh, verse 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word is Jesus. That's who he's referring to there. And the Word was with God. In the beginning, the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus is God. Through him, oh, sorry, he was with God in the beginning. Just in case you didn't get that in the first sentence, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Those two passages pretty clearly point out that God is Jesus, Jesus is God, they created everything. Uh, The second relationship we see that Christ has is to creation, so we've just been talking about this. Uh, Again, in him all things were created. We just saw this from those two passages. Um, Any speculation about was Jesus a created being? Was he just another creature in the line of all these creatures? No, he was with God. He he is God, and he's been there from the beginning. Oh, and he created all things. (laughs) And if he created all things, he must have existed before those things. Right? And so that I don't want that to be confusing, but that's just it's true. He, Paul goes on to say, all things were created for him. All things were created for him, for his enjoyment, and in the way that he desired them to be. If you remember from a couple weeks ago, uh, we talked about sole deo gloria, the, to the glory of God alone. And we looked at this passage from Romans 11, verse 36. It says, for from him, creation, for from him, and through him, and for him are all things. To him be the, glory, uh, be the glory forever. Amen. He is before all things, Paul said. Not only has he created uh, all things and were all things created for him, he also is before all things. And because of that, we are made complete in who he is. In him, all things hold together. He sustains everything. He keeps it going. He holds it all together. He maintains it. He directs creation. So Christ's relationship to creation is very important. That's why Paul spent so much time in this letter on that topic. The third one we'll see is Christ's relationship to the church. 
Christ's relationship to the church. He is the head of the body, it says, the church. We always need to remember, we talk about, you know, the church isn't a building, right? The church is the people. We are the body of Christ. All, every believer in history makes up that body, that one body of Christ. And we can divide ourselves. We can, we can meet in different buildings. We can put denominational tags onto our church. We can, you know, believe slightly different things. But if we believe that Jesus Christ is the creator, the sustainer of all things, that he's offered us grace in the form of salvation, this free gift. Like, if we can agree on those things, we, can, we are part of the body. And what does, this, what does this letter say? Jesus is the head. He is the head. What does the head do? The head does all the thinking, right? The head tells the body what to do where to go, what to say. The head is in control of all those things, not the pinky, not the toenail. That's probably about where I am, somewhere in that area. The head is what directs the body. The body doesn't act independently of the head, not for very long. Paul also said that he has supremacy in all things. In life and death, Jesus is supremely in a place of authority. He is above all things. The last one is found in verse 20. And I'll read it before, we, before I talk about it. Paul says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He's reminding these young believers that all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And this is his relationship to the cross. His relationship to the cross. He's reminding them one final time in this section that that Jesus is God. He's not just a mere picture of God. That Jesus emptied himself of the glory that he had with the Father when he came to earth, but that he never emptied himself of his deity. He was always God, and he was always man when he was here on earth. Don't ask me to explain that any further. I just know it's true. And he says that he reconciled all things to himself. Things in heaven, things on earth, and how did he do that? Through his blood that was shed on the cross. He made peace between himself and us. This peace that had been created to be there in the garden. He had this beautiful relationship with Adam and Eve. And, and it was set up with this beautiful shalom, this peace that can only come from God. And, and man ruined it. Man ruined it. And so this peace had to be brought back somehow. And man couldn't do it on his own. He already proved that. Jesus, this perfect lamb, needed to be the one to bridge back to mankind with that level of peace. So on the heels of those ten ways in which Christ is overall, Paul takes the opportunity to remind the church of how they used to live. 
what they used to be, and what God has done with them through the, done for them through the work of Christ. In verse 21, he says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. It wasn't based on their own behavior that they were saved. In fact, Paul says it was because of their own behavior that they actually were alienated and enemies of God. That's strong. That is a very strong way to say that, and it's true. Until we accept Christ, we are enemies of Christ. It's not a good place to be. But Paul says Christ, through a perfectly lived life, through his physical death that he died in our place, he made us holy and without blemish or accusation. And I say to that, praise God that. That doesn't mean people won't try to accuse us from time to time. That, that doesn't mean that not everybody will all of a sudden recognize that in our lives. I hope they, they will, but we need to remember to the one that matters, we are now seen as blameless, not because of our actions, but because of what he did for us. And if you don't stop there, as I did, and you continue reading, you're going to find what kind of sounds like a condition that all this is based on, okay? So let's just move on to 23a. Um, I'll, I'll start back at 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in the sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm... And do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. That sounds like a condition, doesn't it? It sounds like, well, that's all true as long as you keep doing what you're supposed to do. But you need to know that is not what these verses are saying. That's not it at all. Because you, you might hear, well, you are blameless in Christ as long as you continue having faith and don't lose hope in Christ. The, the translation to English actually isn't really helping us here that, that much. The, the word if uh, does not mean that something will be true if something else is true. Uh, a better way to maybe get to the original meaning of this a little bit better is to say it this way. You are blameless in Christ since you are established in your faith and hope found in the gospel. See, it's an accomplished fact that has already happened. It's not based on future action. It's based on what Jesus already has done. That's what that verse is saying. Since you have established your faith and hope found in the gospel, you are blameless in him. And Paul finishes this section by saying, this is the gospel This is what we are spreading across the whole world. Even me here in chains, this is the gospel that I am preaching. I'm trying to tell every single guard that's chained to me every day. Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) Being chained to the Apostle Paul who's preaching to you all day. He says, this is the gospel, the, the work that God has called me to do, even when I'm in chains it's an amazing attitude because if, if I got locked up today for preaching the gospel, I'd probably just be mad. <laughs> How could they do this? Ah, oh, this is our culture. That's just the way it's going, you know. When Paul saw this as an opportunity to preach, and he says, I rejoice in what I'm suffering. 
He says, I have become a servant of God. God is using me to spread the gospel and, and to be able to write this letter to you. And he is the one we proclaim so that every person that comes to know him will grow to be fully mature in him. And in verse 29, he says, to this gospel, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Not the energy that I gain uh, because, um, you know, I drink Gatorade or I eat properly or I take care of myself. Not that kind of energy. The energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. So there's just a few important things that I, I want to leave you with today. Um, this is just, I want you to understand, we're only scratching the surface I could take weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to go through a letter like this. There's so much here. We've only scratched the surface, um, but these 10 truths can really help put Jesus in a place of priority and superiority in our lives. And again, I could spend a lot of weeks on that, but I won't. Not now. Maybe another day. But we need to remember that first, Jesus has taken care of all things. All things were created by him. All things were created for him. He existed before all things. And today, he is still holding all things together. And he also, on top of all of that, he reconciled or made right all things through what he did for us on the cross. He gave us that opportunity to have that shalom with him again. Second, we need to remember that he is all that we need He's all we need. We have all of the fullness of God in Jesus. And, and we are complete in him, it says. We are filled full. We are full uh, when we accept him. He completes us. There's no need to add anything to the person or the work of Jesus. We don't need to discipline ourselves harshly to keep ourselves from sinning. Um, to add anything to our salvation or to think that we can is to take away from the glory of God. And I spent a ton of time on that two weeks ago. You can go listen on our podcast if you want to hear more about that. We cannot add anything. We, we try sometimes. We might not say it that way, but we try. We think if we can just do this or that or the other more or better, faster, whatever, um, we can be more acceptable to God, and that's just not true. It can't happen. The third thing we need to remember is that God is pleased when his son, Jesus, and again, they're one and the same with the Holy Spirit as well. Again, don't ask me to, to explain the Trinity to you. Um, that's not going to work. It's, they're, they're three uh, separate um, persons of, of the Trinity, but it's one God. I, I don't understand that. Um, but God is pleased when his son, Jesus, is honored and given a place of superiority. Uh, because there are people who claim today that they're Christians. They, 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 yes, they believe in God, they believe in the Bible, but in some way they either ignore or they deny that Jesus is who he says he is. But he is God. He is the exact representation of God. And in fact, in John chapter 5, and this is the last passage we'll look at today, says, moreover, the Father, God the Father, judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, Jesus, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And the same is true. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. 
And so we need to get a hold of that. We need to understand Jesus is God. He was not just a prophet. He was not just a teacher. He was not a lunatic. Those are your options. Um, But he says about himself that he was God. He was the son of God, but he's the exact representation of God the Father as well. And so just like the church in Colossae, we need to live our lives not swayed by what man says about God or Jesus, but by what God says about himself. We need to rest in what his word has to say about who Jesus is and why we should put him in a place of priority in our lives. And we need to hold on to that. Our salvation is directly tied to who Jesus was. If Jesus was just another man, it didn't do us any good for him to die. But he wasn't. He was God. And he allowed himself to be crucified for our sins. He lived that life we couldn't live, and he died the death that we should have died. But praise God, he didn't stay there. He rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, and extending his hand out to us with this beautiful grace. And when we've accepted that grace, peace with him is one. But it's because of what he did for us. So let's continue to live our lives with that as our foundation. Everything else, if we can keep him in our sights that way, everything else will kind of work out for us, I think. It doesn't mean everything is going to be great. It doesn't mean you're not going to suffer or have hard times. But you can have that peace, that joy that only can come from him. The, the peace and joy that doesn't make sense in the world because they don't know him. When you know him, you can have peace and joy in the middle of the difficult. Let's pray.